Welcome to Politics and Science. Politics and Science can be heard weekly on WMRW LP Warren 95.1 FM, airing on Wednesdays at 5 p.m. and Sundays at noon. And in the Bellows Falls area can be heard on Wool LP Bellows Falls at 101.1 FM, airing from 3 to 4 p.m. on Sundays and from 9 to 10 a.m. on Mondays. Politics and Science presents the viewpoints of its participants and does not necessarily reflect the viewpoints of any other person or organization. And my guest today on Politics and Science is Raymond Pete, endocrinologist and physiologist from Eugene, Oregon. And Ray, how are you today? Good. Good. Hang on a sec. And Ray, maybe you should give your resume a bit, Ray, because obviously you can do it better than I. Oh, well, I'm not sure I can. Okay. Uh, I, I was a humanities person first, and uh, while I was studying painting and literature and such, I was uh, interested in science and uh, read widely in libraries and encyclopedias and such. And uh, my first teaching job while I was studying linguistics at Ohio State was in a little college where I got assigned to teach biology and uh, that because I had been reading in it for so long the experience of teaching it was fun so uh, I taught art and English for a few years after that but finally decided to go back to graduate school in 1968 to uh, study biology actually in a university mm. and my first courses in in the sciences uh, didn't impress me that I would be able to learn much in a university same in English and philosophy and psychology and other departments I tried being a graduate student in uh, I basically felt that the institutions were uh, anti-educational that their purpose was to prepare people to conform, to uh, get a job, and go along with the system. But by the time uh, I finally decided to be a, a biologist, I had learned uh, how to be quiet enough that I could get through the degree program. Um, that the um, graduate school experience, I think most people having done it, recognize that it's uh, exercise in conformism rather than uh, anything very special about learning. Mm -hmm. You mean that they're looking for certain uh, behavioral patterns from their students? Yeah, in, in the 60s, a psychologist at Oregon State University uh, did a study of academic success and uh, how students had scored on the Miller Analogies test, uh, which is uh, somewhat a test of cultural knowledge. You have to know the language, but um, it's partly a study of mental flexibility and ability to reason about new problems. And she found that the students who scored average on the Miller Analogies test were the straight A, very successful students in graduate school. And 
the ones who deviated from the average, either up or down, were the less successful in, in graduate school. Hmm. Meaning that uh, the um, having an average ability and conforming really is the way to be an outstanding graduate student. So, and then um, you've after you. S- you were a graduate student. You got your PhD in uh... in 1972. Okay. And, uh, I actually took more courses in biochemistry than in uh, biology, but the degree was in biology. Right. And uh, since then, you've taught at a number of universities, I believe. And um... Um, yeah, um, I taught some courses at the university of Oregon, but uh, also in Mexico, University of Veracruz, and uh, State University of Mexico. And you write extensively uh, in a newsletter that I know of called um, Ray Pete's Newsletter. Uh, Yeah, I've been doing that since 1981 when I, having had essentially uh, all of my uh, research rejected by the journals, uh, I decided just to go ahead and publish my own things and not have to deal with editors. Uh, I had sent uh, some very simple, critical things uh, as letters to editors of, for example, Science Magazine, uh, pointing out that uh, they were drawing racist conclusions from evidence that had absolutely nothing to do with their uh, conclusions and uh, even a little two-sentence criticism like that was rejected as being more extreme than the uh, authors of the study I was commenting on. Hmm. Uh, And I I considered uh, science to be so political that I decided to publish my own books and newsletters. I think some of your writings of what um, prompted me to name the show Politics and Science because oh. this, the two seem very closely interwoven. In fact, they seem to be able to not escape from each other and uh, to the detriment of science, I'm afraid. Uh, yeah, in, in the uh, 50s, um, including when I first started teaching biology, uh, my course was officially named uh, Biology Introduction for Physics Majors. And Hmm. since the students were planning to major in physics, I thought that the biological work should uh, find something that would relate to their interests. And I, I thought that Information technology, how how um, the um, organism was interpreted as information, and uh, radiation biology, how the organism interacted with radiation. I, I thought those were things that would be important to physics majors. And uh, the um, radiation issue, uh, when the students got interested in in reading what the government was saying about the safety of radioactive fallout, uh, that caused 
a great turmoil in the trustees of the university. And uh, they invited a professor from University of Illinois uh, to apply for my job. <laughs> and when he arrived, his invited speech on a topic of his choosing was on radiation biology. And uh, he said, uh, he started his lecture uh, looking at his wrist and saying, uh, you notice I'm not wearing a wristwatch. He said, uh, I realized how much radiation was being emitted from the dial and threw my watch away in a, a radioactive disposal. And, uh, he <laughs> not only didn't get the job he had to apply for, but he got fired from the University of Illinois. Well, I wonder how many they had to go through before they found a proper replacement for you. I, I never heard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it sounds like there's. you're not alone out there. Um, and I know at one point you recommended to me a, a book called Cold War and Biology, which certainly speaks to the politics that are uh, go along with the science. Uh, yeah, that's um, a good introduction to the politics of genetics mm -hmm. in a broader sense, not just not just the racist genetics that they were teaching in American universities, but uh, the whole history way back to the 19th century. Yeah. Um, and we'll, maybe at some point we can cover that again. I was hoping today that we'd talk about fats somewhat, seeing that's still a subject that's in the news all the time. Um, the government always makes recommendations for what kind of fats you should be eating, and they seem to change their minds about every five years or so. They come out with a new proclamation. For a while, they were t they were telling you to uh, avoid... Um, I remember when I was growing up, they told you to avoid greasy fried foods, which I think at that time was vegetable oil, or I suppose it could have been coconut at that point, but I think a lot of people were frying their foods, and, and Wesson oil was the standard uh, in the 50s when I was... Uh, when I was born in 55, so probably 1960, I became aware of things like that. Um, so, and then at some point they did tell you that uh, that those fats were good for you, the vegetable oils, and that the thing to avoid was butter. Yeah, the um, Wesson oil was cottonseed oil. Oh, was it? And, uh, I always thought that was corn. Well, maybe it was at some time, but uh, in the 50s mm -hmm. when I investigated it. It was uh, cottonseed oil, and uh, that has a long history way back. Mark Twain, uh, in one of his books, That's right. uh, told about hearing a conversation <clears throat> uh, in the, I think, 1860s. Uh, people were on his boat talking about how they were going to make Americans eat cottonseed oil mm -hmm. instead of butter. That's right. Yeah, talk about, there's a fat conspiracy for you. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, I think I read that. They were planning, they were taking olive oil from, uh, Italy and then cutting it like 10 to 1 with, uh, cottonseed oil. Um, about, um, 10 years ago, the FDA did a, a survey of all of the imported olive oil sold in the U.S. and reported that 70% of it was adulterated still. Is that right? 
Well, that's not too encouraging. So I thought, I was thinking, um, if you, if you feel like it, maybe we could start with a bit of the history of uh, fat consumption, um, sort of what's traditionally been eaten by humans and how that's evolved in the last century or so. Oh, um, the, um, in, uh, the, um, 19th century, uh, my relatives were still uh, preferring fat meat to lean meat, and uh, the taste of it seemed to be an important guide. Uh, People really didn't trim the fat from their meat because it tasted good, and um, it was... um, fairly isolated uh, areas where they used the exotic oils uh, like um, extracted oils. uh, Usually they they just uh, ate either oily fruits, uh, the coconut itself, or uh, avocados and uh, sunflower seeds and uh, fat uh, poultry and fat beef and pigs and so on. But uh, in, I guess, around the 18th century was when uh, the industrial market started promoting uh, cod liver oil and uh, some of the uh, seed oils. But the um, even fish oil was... Uh, primarily used for varnish and lamps uh, right up until uh, the time of petroleum when uh, petroleum became so cheap uh, then the the plant and uh, fish oils uh, became too expensive and they went looking for new markets Uh, the the, um, coconut oil is easy to get out with primitive technology and so uh, the oriental countries where it was grown uh, they would boil the uh, semi-dried coconut meat and uh, float off the oil and uh, it was very cheap and was being used to feed chickens and pigs and, and such in the United States and to make Oreo cookies, for example. Mm-hmm. And just because of its cheapness and um, that it didn't get rancid. Um, but the um, agricultural industry in the 40s experimented and found that even though it was cheap, it uh, stimulated the animal's appetites and metabolic rates and uh, caused them to uh, eat more food and gain less weight. And the um, one reaction was to use chemical poisons to slow their metabolic rate by poisoning the thyroid gland. And another discovery was that if they used fish oil or uh, linseed oil or cottonseed oil, any of the unsaturated fats, they could slow the metabolic rate and make them put on fat uh, more cheaply. Um, So the uh, 
the seed oil industry now had a fairly good market in feeding pigs. But around that time, around 1950, the petroleum chemists had found a new use for petroleum other than fuel, uh, making paints and plastics out of it, where um, the, the uh, fish oil and linseed oil had been uh, major uh, bases for for making paints and varnishes. Uh, now those markets were lost. And so the, uh, the linseed oil industry in particular uh, looked for new ways to sell their products since the paint market was drying up. And that was when the uh, uh, oil as an essential nutrient uh, idea started being promoted. The um, study that has been cited for many decades was um, <clears throat> performed in connection with the lard industry uh, but um, that claimed that unsaturated fats were essential nutrients, and so the, the linseed oil industry, uh, because their product is rich in unsaturated fats, uh, picked up that isolated bit of research, which happened to um, be fairly unscientific because uh, they had neglected or ignored uh, or suppressed the studies which previously had demonstrated that animals thrived on a diet com completely lacking the unsaturated fats, or any fats, in fact. Hmm. Uh, but uh, that study was so promoted by the oil industry that it created the idea that essential, that the unsaturated fats are essential nutrients. So even though um, they claim they're essential, you're saying there was an experiment where animals thrived without them? Uh, yeah, starting about 1910 to um, all through the 1920s, there were several experiments in which uh, animals were actually healthier uh, when they didn't get any of the fats. Uh, a German study that I saw an abstract in uh, Biological Abstracts. It was published in 1927, showed that as the animals received less fat in their diet, the incidence of cancer decreased, and uh, the cancer rate was directly proportional to the amount of fat in the diet. And uh, that study and the others that showed increased longevity were ignored um, in the, uh, the, the research that claimed the essentiality of the unsaturated fats. Yeah, I mean, you hear that from so many people that, um, that uh, they're essential, and uh, I know um, it's just sort of ubiquitous that... Uh, these things yeah, are, um, the University of Texas had a, a famous nutrition lab under Roger Williams, who wrote Nutrition Against Disease in the six, 50s or 60s. And in his lab in the 1940s, uh, the uh, 
rat disease that was supposedly caused by a deficiency of essential fatty acids. Uh, the people in this Texas lab said, that looks exactly like our vitamin B6 deficiency disease. And uh, the B vitamins, uh, only uh, one or two of the B vitamins were known at the time the original research was done, but mm -hmm. in the 40s, uh, they had identified the deficiency disease specifically caused by a vitamin B6 deficiency. And uh, so they re reproduced the um, diet fed in the 1929 research uh, to their animals, but gave them vitamin B6, and it completely cured the essential fatty acid deficiency without any essential fatty acids. And uh, the apparent interpretation of what had happened, why, why did the uh, fat-free or low-fat uh, diet cause those symptoms was that the um, essential fatty acids suppress the metabolic rate as the pig farmers demonstrated. And when your metabolism is suppressed, you don't eat as much food or drink as much water. Mm -hmm. And so your nutritional requirements are depressed. But if you uh, stimulate their metabolism by uh, not giving them the suppressive essential or unsaturated fatty acids, uh, then you will reveal a vitamin deficiency. And uh, as, as your metabolic rate increases, you eat more protein, and to process that protein, you use up your vitamin B6 faster. Ah. So, do you think people are thinking that, um, that these symptoms that are caused by the vitamin B6, vitamin B6 uh, deficiency, they're blaming it on the lack of these, these EFAs? Um, uh, yeah, there, there have been a few other isolated studies through the 50s and 60s. Mm -hmm. um, usually, uh, one patient would get uh, eczema, and that would get published as proof that uh, the vitamin, the essential fatty acids uh, deficiency disease existed. But at that time, when they were giving a fat-free diet, they were often giving intravenous feeding, and their concept of complete intravenous nutrition until well into the 1970s was radically deficient in several of the essential known nutrients. Uh, zinc, for example, wasn't included. And uh, a biotin deficiency can produce uh, some of the related symptoms. And uh, when your metabolic rate is high uh, and you metabolize more protein, uh, that's one of the deficiencies. Zinc, biotin, mm -hmm. B6 are among the first deficiencies to show up when, when you're uh, having a high metabolic rate and eating protein but uh, not a very rich vitamin source. I see. So you're saying the control group that wasn't being given the the 
quote-unquote essential fatty acids weren't getting any minerals and vitamins. Uh, yeah, they, several of the publications were on intravenous feedings that they called complete mm-hmm. <laughs> nutrition. Right. And uh, even hospitals were keeping babies on this intravenous feeding. And, and they, even though the nutrition journals knew what the essential nutrients such as zinc were, hospitals refused to include them because uh, doctors weren't doing it and uh, it was just the nutritionists who who said humans needed zinc. So it's a little confusing because I think people think, you know, they have a symptom, say, eczema or something like that and and they're, um, you know, some naturopathic consultant tells them to eat... uh, what is it, flax oil or something like yeah, that? If you if you suppress your metabolism, mm-hmm. um, you can get under the metabolic rate at which you need a certain amount of nutrition. And so you can cure a, a vitamin B6 deficiency or a biotin or zinc deficiency sometimes just by taking a toxic uh, thing that suppresses your metabolism. So you're saying in the long run, though, that has other uh, yeah, bad it's effects. The same with, um, for example, fish oil okay. uh, to uh, suppress inflammation. Uh, but uh, even people who were advocating its use published uh, reports showing a radical suppression of immunity by eating a moderate amount of fish oil. Uh, David Horobin, for example went on advocating polyunsaturated fats therapeutically, even though he published evidence showing a decisive suppression of the immune system. And you can get away with that for six months or a year, maybe a couple of years, uh, suppressing inflammation just by knocking out your immune system, but it's not good in the long run. Right, and you also hear on the fish oil front, you hear that, um, I know some people take fish oil to fight depression, and what's your take on that? Oh, I've read all of the publications on it, and some of them say it makes depression worse, some say it it doesn't do anything. Mm -hmm. uh, These are the studies you've seen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and if you select the few that uh, say it helps, the certain group, uh, you can uh, truthfully report that this group improved, but someone else reporting that their group got worse on fish oil. If, if there's a bias in the journal, mm-hmm. uh, who gets published, then you um, don't actually see the empirical data that that existed in the world but not in the medical literature. I see. I, I just read a quote um, that you had used in one of your newsletters from uh, somebody who used to be the editor of the New England Journal of Medicine. Marsha Angel. Yeah. What, what was that quote, Ray? Do you remember? No. <laughs> it was something to the fact that you can't really tell uh, the, uh, the truth of the studies that you're reading unless you know all the studies that they rejected or something. Some, yeah. Something yeah, to that effect. If, if you have... Uh, probability uh, at the 5% level, but if you rejected 
uh, 10 or 20 or 100 publications with negative results, uh, you're uh, biasing the statistics. Well, maybe we should... I don't think we've quite actually covered the all the different fats. I mean, most people have questions about... Um, and they probably want to know, you know, what is bad and what is good. Like, is is canola as bad as um, uh, cottonseed oil and, and those kind of things? Maybe you could oh, well, cover the spectrum there for a minute. In the 1960s, uh, there was a lot of concern that there was a special toxic uh, fat in uh, mustard oil, mm-hmm. uh, rapeseed oil. And so they bred a variety that didn't have that particular fatty acid and that became canola. But uh, meanwhile, Hans Selye was experimenting, uh, and he showed that giving uh, rapeseed oil would typically cause uh, spots of uh, tissue in the heart to die. And uh, the, the mainstream medicine said that was because of the toxic uh, fatty acid that the breeders were eliminating, but uh, Hans Selye uh, gave purified uh, linoleic acid a major component of rapeseed oil and showed that uh, that was the actual toxic agent to the heart, not the so-called special toxic fatty acid. It was the most essential fatty acid itself that was uh, killing heart cells and he added uh, chocolate fat, cocoa butter Mm -hmm. to the diet and that protected the uh, heart in spite of the the same amount of linoleic acid in the diet adding stearic acid in, in the cocoa butter was protective. I see. So it's the ratio that is uh, important. Uh, one of the early rat studies that got me interested in coconut oil was uh, putting, uh, I think there were 15 different groups of rats uh, on one uh, series was pure coconut oil, uh, high fat, low fat, and medium fat. Another one was pure, uh, unsaturated, I think it was corn oil, high, medium, and low. And they kept them on that diet throughout their lifespan. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the normal lifespan, the fat rats were the ones on an unsaturated fat diet. The lean rats were the ones on the coconut saturated fat diet. And the quantity of fat they ate didn't make any significant difference. Hmm. It was the, the, uh, the ratio, the, the degree of unsaturation uh, corresponded to the degree of obesity at the end of their lifespan. So the, the high-fat, low-fat uh, isn't the issue. It's, it's the uh, unsaturation that is the problem. I see. And a series of French publications in the 1980s uh, really defined what the, the pig farmers had demonstrated practically the, the French showed biochemically how it works uh, by using uh, 
specific fatty acids on uh, animals and examining the effects on different components of the thyroid system. And uh, they showed that increasing the number of unsaturations, uh, the uh, two double bonds uh, was worse than monounsaturated and three double bonds was worse than the uh, two double bonds and uh, the worst was the multiply unsaturated. Uh, and every component of the thyroid system that they examined from the, form, the secretion of the hormone from the thyroid gland, its transport on proteins through the blood and the cell's response to it, each of those components was selectively inhibited in proportion to the unsaturation of the oil that the animal was getting. It very neatly explained what the pig farmers found out economically. That by slowing down the metabolism of the pig, it would gain weight Yeah. with the unsaturated fat diet. Uh-huh. Uh, this is probably, we should devote a whole show to the thyroid itself, but perhaps you could just, I think a lot of people are... are not knowledgeable about what the thyroid does for them in their body? And perhaps you could just summarize that? Oh, um, the, um, the real thyroid hormone, uh, the active part of it wasn't discovered until the 1950s, but the uh, function of the thyroid was uh, studied since the uh, mid and late 1900s and uh, it was known to um, activate all of the organs of the body to uh, respire, consume more oxygen, and uh, perform more perfectly. And the deficiency of thyroid very early was learned to cause uh, mental retardation or even uh, under development of the brain and the idiocy uh, and um, infertility, if it developed later, was uh, a very early observation. Mm-hmm. Uh, in some areas of the world, uh, Cretans were um, good employees because they were passive and stupid and didn't reproduce. Uh, so uh, there was the medical uh, establishments in those areas didn't want to cure it because they were good for herding sheep and such chores. You're saying it was a form of eugenics or the opposite of eugenics, actually? Yeah. Yeah. Um, And uh, Broda Barnes in the 1930s uh, did studies both on rabbits and in Europeans uh, and showed that the, um, the goiter belts uh, were highly susceptible to heart disease at a very young age. In their 30s, they started having atherosclerosis and and heart attacks. Hmm. And when uh, iodine was introduced to those regions, and uh, the, the heart disease mortality uh, decreased considerably. But those areas also had a very high uh, cancer rate, especially breast cancer, uh, 
and as recently as the uh, 1980s, when I talked to uh, some cancer biologists in Mexico, uh, the, they were reporting that the iodine-deficient regions in the mountains around Mexico City uh, still had a very high rate of tuberculosis, heart disease, and breast cancer, all of the things that Rhoda Barnes had noticed in Eastern Europe in the 30s. So, and I, excuse me, but iodine, with a, a deficiency of iodine slows your thyroid function? Uh, yeah, in, in those regions, uh, some specific regions, iodine deficiency uh, or uh, uh, iodine deficiency resulting from some particular food or contaminant, uh, in those areas, uh, iodine deficiency was... The, the thing that could be remedied, but in in many areas, the diet interacts with limited iodine, so that uh, it, it isn't just an iodine deficiency, but it's eating uh, vegetables that interrupt the uh, formation of thyroid, even though there is some iodine in their diet. Um, the cabbage family and yeah. the unsaturated fats are the two most famous uh, causes of interrupted formation of the thyroid hormone. And people with low thyroid get goiters, which are big protrusions. Uh, yeah, the, the pituitary gland produces thyroid-stimulating hormone that compensates when your thyroid is being blocked. Uh, naturally, estrogen inhibits the thyroid release, too. Hmm. Uh, and so the body is designed so that if the estrogen is inhibiting the gland, the thyroid-stimulating hormone increases to overcome that block and uh, activates the thyroid to work harder. And if you keep your estrogen or goitrogen high, the TSH works harder and harder, and the gland gets bigger and bigger until sometimes it gets to be as big as a cantaloupe. <laughs> Jeez. Um, women at uh, puberty and during pregnancy often uh, get a fullness in the neck, um, and that typically causes women to have creases in the skin of their neck above and below uh, the region where the thyroids are. Thyroid <laughs> gland is uh, uh, at the base of the neck on both sides of your windpipe. Mm -hmm. And um, mo most women, but uh, almost no men, have a, a defining uh, crease uh, right above their uh, collarbone and uh, just above their uh, Adam's apple. And that defining crease is from a low thyroid? Um, yeah, because at puberty, uh, the thyroid gland naturally enlarges to overcome the effect of estrogen, and uh, that makes a fullness so that the bending of, of the neck causes those creases to outline the, the puffy area where the gland is. Hmm. And is that something that's completely normal, or is that yeah, so, yeah. yeah, that's part of uh, what makes women look attractive, because it corresponds to the years uh, between puberty and menopause. Uh, um, one of the things I've 
when going back to the essential fatty acids, um, which is ostensibly the, the subject of the show, um, you said that it's one of the reasons it's sort of ridiculous to call them essential is that they're ubiquitous. They're in everything, every green vegetable you eat, and it's actually hard to get away from them. Um, yeah. So how we could have a deficiency is is a, is a good question. It's um, a question of marketing and the idea that you could be deficient in something that is in every uh, organism, even tropical organisms. Uh, coconuts have about 2% of those uh, fats, 1%, one, one to 3%. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, ruminants, uh, sheep and cows and deer and such, uh, have... Uh, an organ to uh, grow bacteria which detoxify those plant fats but still uh, one or two percent of the fats get through the detox system of the rumen and uh, so beef fat and lamb fat uh, still have unavoidably about two uh, percent of those uh, unsaturated vegetable oils so even if you ate nothing but uh, beef and lamb and and uh, coconuts, uh, you'd still uh, have more than anyone ever claimed uh, the essentiality required. So by the most extreme ideas of essentiality, it's impossible unless you eat a laboratory-prepared diet to have a deficiency, but the, the marketing departments of the linseed oil companies and the Wesson Oil co- and so on. Mm-hmm. They convinced people that since it's essential in a trace amount, it must be much better in a, a very large amount. But uh, several uh, more recent studies have, have demonstrated that as you increase the unsaturated fats in the diet, the uh, cancer incidence uh, goes up uh, more or less in proportion to the amount. And when you extrapolate it to zero, the cancer incidence, uh, just like the 1927 study, uh, approaches zero. When you say extrapolate to zero, you mean no no unsaturated fats? or Yeah. Okay. Um, and fish oil... How does the, there's a lot of marketing of fish oil too as a supplement, just as a dietary supplement, not necessarily for depression. Is, um, is yeah, the, a few years ago, the FDA warned that uh, the um, total shouldn't exceed, I think it was three grams of uh, DHA and uh, uh, EPA, but. Uh, they more recently have dropped that and have become begun promoting it without the warning. But uh, it definitely becomes toxic, as as the immune suppression studies demonstrated. And uh, the odd thing about the fish oil is that it's so unstable. The reason it was a good varnish is that it oxidizes almost instantly at room temperature even. Mm -hmm. And in your body, uh, it's 
mostly oxidized before it reaches your bloodstream. It has to pass through your digestive system uh, to reach the bloodstream, and by the time it gets there, it has been heated and uh, circulated in tiny particles exposed to oxygen. And uh, so those uh, so-called beneficial anti-inflammatory effects are actually produced by the oxidative breakdown products of the fats. And so uh, even in the biochemistry of it, it's a toxic effect that is being sold as a, as a benefit. I see. So it's suppressing your immune system, um, and that's what's getting rid of some of your symptoms, perhaps. Yeah, it, it's the um, free radical oxidative decomposition products that are circulating in your blood system, and a very small part of it uh, reaches your tissues as uh, the um, original starting DHA and EPA. And Raymond, would you like to touch? We're talking to Raymond Pete, by the way. I should say that more often. Uh, endo- endocrinologist and physiologist from Eugene, Oregon, and we're talking about mostly about fats today, but also we're talking about um, the marketing of them and. Uh, the scientific research that's gone into fats. And how much does the marketing affect the scientific research? You know, the media seems to still be uh, very um, down on saturated fats and still pr- um, still promoting unsaturated fats. Yeah, and they apparently have taken over the government because I see the, uh, the government has uh, basically a promotion of uh, fish oil on their website, and uh, would that be the FDA? Is that the FDA, or what's the yeah. what's the website? Okay. Um, and the industry, just like the uh, the soy oil industry, has uh, subsidized research on the health value of soy oil. Uh, the fish oil industry is now uh, rich enough that they are uh, sponsoring conferences and and paying researchers to produce uh, studies and uh, getting people on boards of editorial boards of the journals. And it's uh, just just like the uh, atomic energy mm-hmm. industry uh, controlling the research on the safety of radiation. It's, it's the, uh, the health effects of the fats are being promoted by the industry, not by objective science. Yeah, and I think most a lot of people are familiar with the um, global warming being uh, contested by the oil industry and all, all of the money they spend on research. Mm-hmm. Now, you mentioned cancer in terms of unsaturated oils. Does that apply? I guess fish oil is also a very unsaturated oil, and that applies to fish oil as well? Um except that uh, the um, the shorter 18 carbon oils that you get from seeds uh, fit into our enzyme systems um, more powerfully and so inhibit uh, our uh, own enzymes more powerfully. The fish oils are very long 
and uh, don't directly uh, attack our enzymes in the same way. They're unstable mm-hmm. and spontaneously all by themselves turn into these uh, free radical and aldehyde toxins. But uh, they are safer to our enzyme systems because their number of carbons is very different from uh, the fats that we make or that we get from seeds. And, and they also come with quite a few vitamins, too, that are good. Yeah, and the, um, when you squeeze an oily fish, you can't help uh, getting some vitamin K, vitamin A, vitamin D, and a little E. Even. Mm-hmm. But the E pretty much is destroyed quickly uh, by the oxidative process. But the D comes through uh, very uh, strongly because it's harder to oxidize. The K and the A uh, probably uh, usually have enough activity to be of some benefit when you eat the fish oil. I see. So we have about five minutes left, uh, Ray, and I thought maybe we could quickly... People are probably wondering, well, what would you think was would be good to eat? Um, for instance, is olive oil okay, coconut oil, um, um, ma- margarine? Maybe you could run through the... Okay. Um, the coconut oil is around 10% of the polyunsaturated fats, and if you're only going to use half a teaspoon or so for flavoring a food or a teaspoonful every other day or something, that is uh, small enough that it isn't harmful. So as as a minor flavoring, olive oil is fine. I see. But uh, as a a major part of the diet, uh, I think butter, beef fat, lamb fat, and coconut oil are the safe ones. And uh, cocoa butter, uh, chocolate. Mm -hmm. And um, some studies have, have found that the longer saturated fats are um, very protective. They're being investigated for curing uh, cancer, heart disease, and uh, some of the best studies are using the uh, long-chain saturated fats as well as ordinary butter fats and so on uh, for treating uh, liver disease, uh, alcoholic uh, hepatitis, for example, is being uh, successfully treated with saturated fat because about 20 years ago they noticed that um, alcoholic uh, liver injury requires the polyunsaturated fats in the diet. Uh, Some Hindus noticed that uh, in the areas of India where they have primarily uh, butter, uh, alcoholics don't get liver disease at the high rate that uh, they do in the areas that get the unsaturated fats. And so the animal studies finally led to uh, human studies in Chicago in which they are finding uh, actual cures of alcoholic liver disease just with a good diet plus the saturated fats. Is it those ongoing studies now, or are they something that, are they um, old or... I haven't seen anything new in the last year or two. Okay. But, yeah, they're recent. I see. And when you say long chain, is that coconut oil? Um, well, that 
goes up to 16 carbons, and uh, butter is 18 carbons. Oh. And uh, uh, they are using experimentally some derived from uh, sugar cane, wax, and uh, other uh, unusual long-chain fats. But uh, those are being used therapeutically in cancer, too. I see. And, you know, the unsaturated oils are just in everything now because, of course, the government has sanctioned, our government has sanctioned them, and uh, you can't buy a potato chip that isn't cooked in, you know, canola oil or some other vegetable, unsaturated vegetable oil. So how do we, um, if you say you go out to dinner, and uh, is there anything Uh, you can do to protect yourself? About 15 years ago, uh, there was this big campaign to get coconut oil off the market, right. and uh, it, it, in recent years, is coming back, and I think if people just uh, nag the cooks in restaurants and uh, uh, buyers in grocery stores, uh, they can change things. It, it's uh, changing back in the last few years to uh, people demanding uh, that they get real butter and uh, uh, other saturated fats in products. And finally, I think most people are worried about getting fat when you say butter, um, even though we, we all love it, I think. There's nothing that tastes better on things. But, um, yeah, the animal studies uh, from the industrial agriculture level all the way down to lab studies show that uh, the polyunsaturateds are extremely fattening in proportion to their role in uh, the diet, uh, the, the, the proportion to the saturated fats is more important than the actual quantity of fat. So uh, people who, uh, I noticed in Finland where dairy foods are, are very uh, uh, common, uh, basically probably the most common food, uh, just going across the border from Russia to Finland, you go from a starch-eating, vegetable-based diet where everyone's fat over to a lean, healthy population where they eat lots of butter fat. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. um, In general, Americans who eat uh, milk and milk products are lean, and it's partly the uh, calcium and vitamin D but uh, also the butter fat itself is helpful. I guess that's the uh, the French paradox, again, that they always talk about. That how, how, how come the French are so healthy when they eat all that nasty, saturated fat? <laughs> yeah. Um, well, Ray, I guess we're basically out of time. Is there anything else you'd like to add? We're talking to Raymond Pete, endocrinologist and uh, physiologist from Eugene, Oregon. Oh, well, um, yeah. people are concerned about skin health and appearance and mm-hmm. an experiment with the rabbits is interesting uh, rabbits were um, put on either a corn oil diet or a coconut oil diet and shaved and so the sun would hit their skin and those on the unsaturated corn oil diet got wrinkly sun damaged skin and the ones on the saturated fat diet uh, the sun is relatively harmless to their skin yeah, that's kind of telling, isn't it? 
Well, uh, Ray, thanks so much for being on today. The hour blew by in what seemed like a couple minutes, and I um, appreciate you you doing it. Okay, thank you. And I'll give out your website and contact, um, just your website information for people. Okay, very good. Thanks, Ray. Mm Bye-bye. Bye. And that was Raymond Pete. I hope you could hear some of that. His voice was very weak. Uh, but Ray Pete's website is uh, raypete.com if you're interested. It's that simple. Ray Pete, spelled R-A-Y, and then P-E-A-T dot com. And he has a lot of excellent articles on his website. If you have any questions for politics and science, you can direct them by email to politicsandscience at madriver.com. That's politics and science at madriver.com. Archive shows can be found at radio4all.net. That's radio, the number four, all.net. Politics and Science presents the viewpoints of its participants and does not necessarily reflect the viewpoints of any other person or organization.